Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beaversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode six of the Movement Logic Podcast. I am Dr. Sarah Court, and I am here with my co-host, Laurel Beaverstorff. And today we are talking about exercise. What counts as exercise? How much are we supposed to exercise? Uh, how, how guilty are we sh- supposed to feel if we don't do enough exercise, whatever that means? Um, why is there, why has there been historically and, and still there kind of is so much emphasis on cardiovascular exercise in terms of the guidelines that the government uh, gives us and how does an individual person's needs change based on their age, their health, their lifestyle, things like that. Laurel and I are coming at this from different perspectives. I'm a PT, Laurel is a strength coach and a movement teacher. And as always, we just want you to know that we decided on this topic for our conversation, but we haven't had this conversation before. We don't script these, we just really like to talk and learn from each other, think out loud, riff off of ideas. And that way I learn from Laurel. And on a very, very rare occasion, she learns from me. Whatever. So <laughs> that's why you're here. That's right. <laughs> so our question this week is how much should, and should should be in like quotation marks, how much should you exercise? So Laurel, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Off the top of your head. Mm. Can you tell me what are the government guidelines for how much, this is a thing, this is a real thing, for how much someone should exercise every week? If I were to guess, I would say it's probably skewed toward cardio and just based on what you said at the beginning, (laughs) um, I have no idea. Okay, so the answer is... Run out of time. Yes, sorry. I'm afraid you've lost. Never in Jeopardy does someone not write anything, though. Sometimes they do. Sometimes there's just like... Really? Yeah, like dots, because they were like... That's not good. They need to take at least one guess. (laughs) Just a stab in the dark. Okay, so stab in the dark. What do you think? It's it's here. I'm going to give you a clue. It's in how many minutes? 10,000 steps. Oh, minutes. Um... Okay, minutes, minutes, I would say 20 minutes, three times a week of cardiovascular exercise. That's what I used to think it was. That is incorrect. So, so they actually categorize it in sort of two, they call it moderate intensity or vigorous intensity. And you either should do 150 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity. And and the mm. way that they categorize those is moderate intensity is like a brisk walk. Mm. Um, they say like, you can talk, but you couldn't sing. Uh, your heart mm. rates up. You what if you just can't sing though? <laughs> you should, you can talk, but you shouldn't sing. <laughs> and then, I must always be doing moderate exercise. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Cause I and then, or, or 75 minutes vigorous and vigorous they say is you know, like running or swimming or playing a sport, you could only say a few words before you would have to stop and catch your breath. Yeah. I, so, I, this reminds me of when I was pregnant in my OBGYN, I was like, you know, don't get to that in that vigorous intensity level 
of where you can't have a conversation as soon as you've gone mm -hmm. that far you should reduce the intensity of your exercise, which I, I found to be very like simple, straightforward and easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and help me feel really good about my exercise during pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, the descriptions are, are great in terms of mm. like, what is moderate, what is vigorous. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's, it's a, um, it's kind of an RPE, but with, with more RPE being a, um, rate of perceived exertion. I was, I had a second, yeah. I was like, what does yeah. it stand for? Yeah. So, but it's, it's, uh, so RPE rate of perceived exertion is what people use a lot of the time in strength training, where it's like your, your sense of how hard you're working yeah. out of 10 and like, you know, keep it around like a seven or an eight. So you're not like completely everything out of the tank, but you're working pretty hard. Right. Yeah. So, but this is not perceived. This is actual real, uh, mm. exertion in terms of, breathing right so so mm. it kind of it categorizes it as cardiovascular because we're going to think about that in terms of your heart rate is up you're breathing more uh intensely uh your muscles are working to a level where they need more oxygen and so your experience of, of it is like you know either you can talk but you can't or in laurel's case shouldn't sing um <laughs> or you can only say a few words before you have to like stop and catch your breath and i think those are very relatable guidelines in the sense that like everyone understands that right or you've had that experience in some way yeah that's um, it's it's a, it's a really good one for cardio um yeah yeah but here's what's interesting i'm trying to this think is, of how i did that it. with strength training yeah i know so there's more they say as well and this is to mm. my to my knowledge this is new and and anyone who knows better than me can jump in and correct me uh they've so it's not only that so you have to do your 150 minutes moderate or 75 minutes vigorous and two days or more strength training which is new yay great it's so very, cdc hard... center of disease control yes right centers so, centers centers for disease control so these are the scientists who are interested in reducing the rates of disease in the united states so th yeah. this is where and why these recommendations have been exactly handed and out. they're looking at it in terms of like you know heart disease as being you know the number one or number two Mm -hmm. uh you know thing that that uh is is oh god words that our people are suffering from right so that's part yeah. of also there's so much cardiovascular now what what they because i was like well where do you put something like yoga or pilates which generally speaking you're not you're never really out of breath mm. um you know and it, it obviously with yoga it completely depends on the type of yoga that you're doing mm. same with pilates it can be much more gentle or it could be much more vigorous um, I think probably at the highest level, it would be moderate. I don't yeah, think, maybe I even that. like moderate and below. Like, I don't know that, that it would necessarily, it's definitely not steady state. That's, that's the thing. And, right. and when you're going for a run, when you're doing like cyclical cardiovascular work, like cycling, like swimming, like running, it's, um, and you're working in that mo moderate intensity level, you're probably doing steady state cardio. Yeah. Yeah. you're not running intervals or doing tempo training right um and then so so to so i was like okay well then let's let me look at this these numbers what would that mean on a practical level like how many different how many things should i be doing each week and right how do i break up that time and like exactly. schedule it into my week? exactly and and so and and oh this is the other thing it's you know 150 minutes moderate 75 minutes vigorous or some mm. combination of the two basically mm -hmm. Every mm -hmm. two minutes of vigorous is the equivalent of one minute of mm. moderate. Yeah. 
Um, so, so, you know, I live in California. I really like going hiking, hiking. Mm -hmm. I would consider a moderate, sometimes vigorous, depending. Yeah. And so, uphills. Those uphills are yeah, probably there's, vigorous. There's, listen, we got some, we got some hills around here. So mm -hmm. it's like doing one hike, maybe going, taking one, you know, maybe a vinyasa yoga class or some other sort of like moderate level, you know, class, and then strength training twice a week. And that's it. That's it. And maybe, you know, I mean, to me, I'm saying that's it because to me, that doesn't seem like that much, but I'm also someone who, you know, lives in the movement and exercise world. And for other people, that's like, I don't have that much time. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And this is, this is, if you want to, <clears throat> like your goal is simply to stave stay off. Healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Stave off disease exactly. according to the CDC. Yeah. This has nothing to do with um, performance, you know, performance or training mm -hmm. for an event or. Yeah you know, training for a skill or anything like that. Yeah. Cause frequency, um, frequency would need to be increased for. Yeah, exactly. Cardio exactly. and strength. Can I ask you a personal question? Uh-huh. How much do you exercise every week? Oh my gosh. So right now a lot. <laughs> yeah. Actually I took last week almost completely off. I went to CrossFit one time <clears throat> and I went on some long walks. So actually no, I mean, when I say I take a week off of exercise, I know like, that's the thing. I'm bullshit. like, I didn't do anything last week. I did some strength training. <laughs> hikes and people are like excuse me <laughs> it's really really skewed yeah. because it's my job right and uh and and i really rely on it so heavily for mental health that yes. is something that i'm realizing more and more as i age that you know looking back retrospectively how much i've relied on exercise for my own mental health like how i've really um managed my mental health with with exercise for a very long time um but i would say <clears throat> that uh, on a week where I'm exercising a lot, I will probably strength train four or five times a week. Mm -hmm. So I'm training a lot. And then I don't do any cardio unless the people at CrossFit tell me to, <laughs> <laughs> which is not very often. Yeah. And so that is actually something I see as kind of a blind spot, at least in my, in my conditioning. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not getting enough cardiovascular stress to yeah. uh, to enhance that those systems in my body. Yeah. Um, but I do do hikes, but I do them very slowly because I'm on a very, it's a very rocky, rooty trail and I'm looking out for snakes. So I am not fair. moving super fast across those trails. <laughs> so yeah, so I would say I'm, I'm very heavily skewed toward uh, strength training and, 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 and uh, plyometrics. Mm -hmm. I do, I do a fair amount of plyometric training, yeah. which can be, you know, pretty stimulating for the cardiovascular system. And, yeah. And I, my experience has been like, there's plenty of strength training that for me has felt cardiovascular. I mean, mm -hmm. you swing a kettlebell around for long enough, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, you know, you're breathing hard. Yeah. I mean, kettlebell training is in some ways really similar to plyometric training, mm -hmm. except there's no impact, which is kind of the cool part about it. And yeah, definitely uh, kettlebell swings are one of the few like uh yeah kettlebell swings could be classified as strength training and also uh has the ability to to increase your your body's aerobic endurance so yeah. depend, it yeah. depends on how much you're swinging right and for how long and all, all exactly exactly yeah. so so here's here's the thing like you and i are coming at this from a perspective of movement and exercise are a priority mm. uh we both work in the world of it and we both value it in our own bodies and and 
from my perspective, at least as a PT, my, my, a lot of my job is throwing people around. I mean, I'm not throwing, but <laughs> you I sound like a be. great therapist. I, people come <laughs> and say my neck hurts. I'm like, you want it to hurt? Watch this. And I throw them up. <laughs> no, but there's a, there's a, I have a strength requirement. Yeah. To do my job. If I don't mm -hmm. maintain my strength, I don't, I'm not as good at, it. I actually start to hurt myself. Yep. You know, like I remember when I first started doing the amount of manual therapy that I do on people. I, uh, I had like really, I don't know what it was that was going on. I think it was just a sudden, the volume increase was so much. I would drive home from the clinic every day with an, wait, my arm on the armrest and an ice bag on my hand. Oh, that's not good. Because it was so miserable. So mm -hmm. there's a, I have, I have a, if I want to be able to do my job well, I have to be able to sort of train for my job. Yep. Um, however, the average person does not have a job that is, you know, about being at some amount of fitness or they don't, they may not automatically value it the way that, you know, you and I do probably most mm -hmm. of the people listening to this do. How, how, what, how do you motivate people to get mm. interested in it? Um, what do you, what do you, I know what I have, what I do a lot of the time. What do you do? Mm -hmm. So I find that the benefits of exercise are inherently motivating if you can get someone to stick with it long enough to see those benefits. And so one of the things that I do as a teacher is I try to talk a lot about the benefits. Mm. And I and when I work one-on-one -on -one with people and I work in um, live small group strength training, um, I also start to notice improvements that individuals are making and I make a point of noting that for them. Mm -hmm. And I write down, you know, how many reps and how much weight they lifted. And I make sure that they know that this week they lifted an extra rep or this week their rate of perceived exertion was lower or this week they lift, lifted extra load. And I really strongly play up the objective measurable and potentially also perceived benefits um, that they might be experiencing. And I, and I make sure too to tell them that this is what you might be experiencing or have you noticed instead of this is what you should be experiencing and this is what should be happening to you not telling them what they're feeling but really um, helping them to maybe become aware of the fact that they are performing feeling better in their life and um maybe it's connected to all this work you're doing people also um reach out to me to tell me these things mm -hmm. and um and so I know that I know that the the benefits of exercise are inherently they're self-reinforcing. Why do people not exercise then? I think it's probably because there's no immediate gratification. Mm. It feels like a form of punishment for some reason because mm -hmm. of the stories they've been told or the stories they're telling themselves about it it's very complex but then when they're put in front of the opportunity to exercise there's no immediate gratification things that i consider to be immediate gratification are human relationship human interaction um, 
a, a, an inspiring environment to exercise in. I really look forward to going. So for example, I go to this CrossFit gym really to get out of the house. It's, it's more mental health than anything else. <laughs> the gym is this huge warehouse. It's a really exciting place to lift weights and they play like kind of hardcore music, most of which I don't really like, but the vibe is kind of like, yeah, you know, and like, <laughs> I'm into it, you know? And I'm like, what are the like, like lowest on the, on the like levels of like fitness there like it's it's amazing to me and it, that's also inspiring to me is like wow i thought i was fit <laughs> turns right. out in turns this out. population i'm really not um and so i think there's also things like playlists which can be really super important things like um is this something that you can actually work toward improvement in like can you see results can you see higher levels of mastery over time. Sometimes that requires an external eye going, wow, you know, your downward facing dog or your handstand or your, uh, you know, um, kettlebell swing uh, is really coming along. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of that person having a goal and seeing that they are making improvements and making um, progress toward that goal. I think these are all gratifications that can really keep people coming back. And then there's all the intrinsic benefits of like, I had my private clients, um, I, I teach a couple of uh, two women and they are on vacation now and they had to schlep a whole bunch of stuff to Fire Island for their vacation. And they were like, oh, we can only do this because of Laurel. I'm like, no, you can only do this because you are putting in the work to strength train once or twice a week and they're brand new beginners and they're they're so excited about like all the things that don't hurt anymore you know right, right um so you know letting people having people share those things with you and being open to you know holding space for that but also as a as a teacher if you are a teacher really play up the benefits and there's a lot i think a lot of evidence to suggest that that is uh, an evidence-based way to improve compliance, right? Could you give me an example? Um, like, because you were talking, you've been talking about this about um, playing up the benefits, and you you've talked about um, things that people have reported back to you. Are there mm. things that you talk about in a less specific to each client or student, and more sort of generally, like this is going to help you carry the groceries in from the house, or like, are you are you peppering that into when you're teaching? I definitely am. And I'm doing it in various ways. Like I'm sharing my own stories and I'm mm -hmm. also sharing stories from other students while keeping them anonymous. And basically it, it comes down to the way that I think about it is our comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. How comfortable do we want to feel in our lives? And in order to feel comfortable in our lives, meaning pain reduced, pain free, and capable of participating in the activities of our lives that are meaningful. So for perhaps a grandparent, that means being able to play, um, you know, rough and tumble on the ground with their grandkids or go play catch or, you know, maybe if you have a dog, it's like being able to keep up with your puppy. And if you have, uh, you know, a spouse who really likes hiking, being able to, you know, go on those hikes with your spouse. Um, being able to sleep on the ground in a tent, like all these things that are physically demanding, that are cushy lives and are, you know, outsourced lives, like we outsource everything in the name of convenience, like that, that, that don't require us to have to endure. But then we have this like opportunity to really live. We want to live, right? And we want to be comfortable in those higher demand moments of our, of our everyday life. 
So we take a little bit of time, not much, right, as it turns out, out of our week to actually get even more uncomfortable than that, to stress <laughs> our bodies in the laboratory of exercise, to, you know, stress our cardiovascular systems to the point where it is uncomfortable to stress our muscles in strength training to the point where we're feeling the burn or we're feeling the fatigue or we're feeling, you know, this is a heavy weight so that, right, we make ourselves uncomfortable in those small moments so that we expand the comfort zone of our life. And so that you can relate to any type of meaningful activity that you find potentially challenging or that you have found painful in the past, like riding in the car for two hours, if you've got an hour commute there and back, like how those activities are necessary, meaningful, required, and how if we take time to prepare for those, they won't be uncomfortable, they won't cause pain. Yeah. And then we have so much more attention, mentally, cognitively, energetically to devote in those moments to being present and to finding even deeper meaning beyond the distraction potentially of our body going, I don't know if I can do this, this hurts, yeah. this is scary, right? Um, but that's whole... kind of the the meta of yeah. what I talk about, but yeah. obviously in little anecdotes and stories. Yeah, my daughter's thirty five pounds. She's she's well on her way to being thirty five pounds. And I thought she... you were about to say my daughter's thirty five. She... I was like, <laughs> <laughs> we feed her a lot of spinach. She is Benjamin Button and Button. high quality protein and yes. calcium, and she's growing. No, Listen, she's thirty. She's thirty five. Yeah, she's thirty five pounds, but she's three, and mm -hmm. so she wants to be carried and picked up and like held and yeah. and like I'm savoring this phase because I know it's not going to last forever. And so right. the ability to bend over, mm -hmm. she's lying on her back, pick her all the way up and carry her up the stairs while I'm holding on to something else. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I can do that. And it's not a burden. Exactly. Because exactly. I strength train. I had a whole bunch of ideas come up. That's just things that, that when you were talking kind of came into my came into my head. Mm. Um, I, you know, in the PT world, I use this kind of goals based work the same way, mm. uh, a slightly different take on it. It's, it's like, you know, what I say to patients a lot of the time is when they're coming in, is there something that you are not doing right now because of your injury? You know, are you, is there a sport you're not playing? Is there something you'd like to get back to that you have thought was like just long gone and, and whatever. And so then not only do we have that as a tangible goal, where it's like, oh yeah, you wanted to get back to running and here we are four weeks later and you've, you're starting to run again or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it also works to guide what I'm doing with the person in that mm -hmm. session because it gives what it gives the exercise more meaning because yeah. it's always aimed at a goal. So yeah. it's, it's not like, well, today I felt like you need to do abs or something like that. It's very, very like, see this shape we're making here. This is the same shape that you make when you're running. We're, mm. we're making you do it in a harder situation so that when you go to run, it's actually easy, you know, mm. or, or whatever the example might be. And, and that I find for people who don't have that sort of natural motivation, maybe mm -hmm. um, constantly reminding them of what their goal is and how this to your point, uncomfortable thing we're doing now yeah. is going to make the thing they want to do more comfortable. It's right? huge. And it's I think so the, big. Yeah. And I think in the beginning as well, and this is something that it took me a while to kind of 
feel like I could say legitimately. Um, it took me working with a lot of different patients and seeing a lot of people, you know, heal their issue or get stronger or get out of pain. Um, where, where in the beginning for people, especially if they are coming in with pain, but even if they're like, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm 55. I've never done any weight training. I'm suddenly worried about my bone density. I have no idea what to do. I don't like exercise. It always felt like punishment, stuff like that. I find that in the very, very beginning, if I hold the confidence of the outcome and I don't make it something that they have to blindly believe in or, mm. or hope that will come out. And, and so by that, I mean, like, you know, if they say, do you really think mm. I could go back to, you know, going for a walk every day? And I don't lie, like, like, mm -hmm. no, I'm, I'm not, you know, but, or I, I talk about it in a, in a sort of like stepwise procedure, but I also say something like I, based on what I've seen of other people that are similar to this person or my, just how I'm getting the sense of them as a person, all of those sorts of things, I'm, I'm usually just like, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I hold the confidence of that because I've seen the example of it over and over. And that's just sort of the gift of having worked for a while. And yeah. having enough of the, your own um, evidence that you can draw from. I yeah. had, I mean, I remember this person that I had recently who had um, uh, low back pain, disc herniation, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and was you know it, that kind of pain a lot of the time is is debilitating, and mm -hmm. especially if it's been going on for a long time, it just ruins people's belief that yeah. it could ever go away or be better. Mm -hmm. And I remember they were like, you know, do you really think you can help me get out of this pain? And I was like, yes, because mm -hmm. I've seen it, uh, variations of it a lot. And I was extremely, and he was like, really? Okay. And and I know that my um, my confidence in what I can do, my skill set allows me to hold that space for people when they're not sure. And then as they see results, they take over the confidence part, right? right. And then you don't have to do that so much. Yeah. And that's also that thing when people say, like when people say to you, oh, you know, I, I, they'll come in and be like, I went swimming. It didn't hurt my shoulder. It's all thanks to you. And I do that same thing where I'm like, no, no, no. I just suggested some stuff. Right. You decided to do it. You know, right. just because I told you to do a squat, you're still in, a, you could have walked out of the room if you wanted to. Right? Yeah. So making the person recognize that it's their work that they've put in yeah. that has made the difference. Not that I did it for them so yeah. that they get that autonomy over how their body feels and their and their strength. Right. And the last thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about stressing the system, mm. um, that idea, you know, which is sort of anytime you're learning something new, you want to be in the sort of what they call the stress area, but not the mm -hmm. strain area, right. either physically or mentally, right? So yep. we want to be in the stress area where it's like, this is different, this mm. is hard, but it's not breaking anything like right. physically or mentally, right? This is not so impossible. I'm not going from zero working out to thinking I'm going to work out every single day. Yeah. Right? That's, that's too much versus um, that when you get into that strain period where it's like, you're overloaded, you're emotionally exhausted. You're yeah. trying to cram more workouts into your day than you have time for, Yeah, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, so some of it is, is bringing it into your world or helping people bring it into their lives in a way that's that's doable and yeah. setting realistic um guidelines for themselves or goals well, for themselves can i share some good news sure i mean at least from strength training which is my more my wheelhouse is that beginners can make the most 
improvement to their strength in terms of percentage-wise than any other training age. Nice. So beginners will improve more rapidly than intermediate or advanced lifters in their strength and their muscle mass. So in the beginning, basically everything works mm -hmm. and you don't need to do very much. In fact, there are studies showing that single set training once a week, mm -hmm. what single set, that's like a set of like 12 reps that are challenging. You have to be going to that really uncomfortable place once a week can be enough to, to cause increases in strength to, to yield increases in strength. Now, you will quickly plateau. That will quickly become not enough, right? And then you've got to bump up the frequency, but two times a week for a beginner, yeah. one to two times a week. And a beginner in strength training is anyone who's been lifting weights for less than two months. So, you know, you have those first two months to make a ton of progress and not have to input very much time and energy. Yeah. Um, but the energy you do input needs to be pretty Again, because it has to be a stimulus, we talked about like a stimulus is a stressor that makes a change, not just any stressor, but one that actually causes the changes you're targeting for strength. The stimulus has to be, you know, 75, 80% of a one RM, and you're doing no more than 12 reps before it's really quite challenging. Um, Sorry, that's a one RM, could you? A one RM, yeah, thank you, <laughs> is the, it's a theoretical amount of weight that you could lift one time and one time only. It's very hard to test for one RM because you've got to warm up, and then by that time you're maybe fatigued, and then every day is different, depending on how much sleep or what you ate the day before. So it's, it's, a, it's also a moving target, right? It's going to change. But um, you can be, you know, pretty accurate in terms of what your 1RM is with something like a, a 10RM and lower test. So if you did like uh, picked up a weight and tried to lift it 10 times and you got to pretty close to failure on that 10th rep, you could fairly accurately extrapolate what you would be able to lift one time using 1RM charts, which you can just Google 1RM charts. You get more accurate results the higher the load, the closer to your 1RM you are. If you're lifting, um, say, for five reps or four reps, this is probably something in the realms of an 85 to 90% 1RM, and that's going to give you a much more accurate 1RM um, estimate. But basically, if you're targeting strength, you have to be working within a percentage of your 1RM. And a lot of times we're not, we're working on strength endurance, right. okay, which is also a really important capacity to develop yeah. and, and should be developed alongside strength. And, 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 yoga, is one, and yoga, by the way, is wonderful for strength endurance in, in, in many yes. cases, not for all muscles, but for many of the major muscles of the body. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, what was the original question? It was like... Um, we're talking about how often you need to, to work out. Yeah. So okay. if you want to, if you want to improve your strength, the good news is like once or twice a week in the first eight weeks consistently of training, you know, two sets, not even more than like a couple of sets. Um, you know, and I think a good, a good percentage to start with is like a, an eight to 12 rep max. So that would be a 75 to, I guess, 80, 85, 75 to 80% 1RM um, or 70 to 80% 1RM. It doesn't have to be a super heavy load. Um, and, and, uh, and that's, that's gonna, that's gonna result in you actually being, becoming aware of your increased strength in your daily life. You're going to notice 
if you stick with strength training for eight weeks in that dosage, and it's recommended that you don't go above that because that's where yeah. we start to enter into that realm of strain, as you call right. it. Right. Um, you will notice that you have objectively improved your ability to do certain things in your daily life as long as you haven't, um, you know, overdone it. It's not a, you know, like this is going to be a panacea for everyone to follow this protocol. It's, you know, you do need to have solid technique. Um, you, you, you probably benefit from working with somebody, right? Who's an outside eye who can, can help you if you're feeling like you really do need that or want that. Um, and, and you will notice, and it, it's yeah. not, that's not that much, right? It's you really could do not. two 30 to 45 minute sessions a week yeah. and make a big change. So I want to sort of turn back around to yoga for a minute, because I want to talk mm. about why or how we sort of got this idea of like hashtag yoga every day or oh. that, that, that it, how it sort mm. of became, uh, just sort of, a, a widely held belief that, uh, in the yoga community, at least and this is my experience. I mean, yours, yours may be different, but that you were supposed to do yoga every single day, every damn day, every damn day. And, and why, why might that actually not be appropriate for people? My, my feeling is the, the people that I see who come into the clinic and have, you know, yoga-based injuries are generally the people who are doing yoga every day. Mm -hmm. Um, because not because it's automatically a bad idea to do some yoga every single day, mm -hmm. uh, but the mentality of it is such that the yoga, the yoga is usually their only physical exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, they are not practicing like a sort of gentle or restorative yoga every damn day. It is, a, <laughs> it's taking, it's taking yoga and turning it into, you know, uh, like a, a workout or a gymnastics challenge or a uh you know it, it's, it's the people who are doing like the vinyasa two three we're talking and, about asana really then right? yes i'm sorry let me be clear i'm talking specifically about asana but but people who who take the yoga asana practice as a like an extreme sport essentially mm -hmm. um, yeah. and how what i see with a lot of those people when i talk to them about let's let's broaden your movement diet and apart from yoga what else are you doing and they're like mm -hmm. okay you know i'm like okay maybe you should you know also on a day go for a hike or maybe a long walk or you know, maybe do some, some weight training. And, and what I, what I see is a lot of reluctance to mm -hmm. do that very mm -hmm. often. I see people who, you know, I suggest that to them and I, and they're just kind of like, or, you know, if I'm like, well, you know, your hip hurts because you have been doing Lotus pose, not that there's anything wrong with it necessarily, but let's mm -hmm. say in this instance, every single day for 15 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, and your particular anatomy does not like it that much. Mm -hmm. And that's why like your knee is now giving you a problem and your hip. Yeah. You know, and the idea of, so what I want you to do is like, let's leave that pose out of your practice and also mm -hmm. maybe just take a couple of days and don't do any yoga. And it's mm -hmm. like, I took a knife and stabbed them in the eye when I mm -hmm. said that, you know, but I remember I was that person. I know. I remember it. The, when I first started to have problems with my hip was when I was about 27. Mm -hmm. And, um, for, everybody who probably doesn't know because this is who why would anyone know this um i had hip dysplasia which is yes it's something that happens to large dogs but it also happens mm. to people especially women <laughs> you say that um, like i knew it happened to large dogs like no a lot check. of people yeah people know people large dogs they hip dysplasia and people are like oh like in newfoundland <laughs> you know, I have had more than one no because it does <laughs> anyway uh... I am a large dog, apparently. 
Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a very catch-all phrase, but essentially what it means is that there's something about the way that your acetabulum and the head of the femur, your hip socket fit together that is yeah. over time problematic, causing, mm -hmm. causing injury, causing arthritis, all these things. And anyway, and it's the, genetic, right? Uh, yes. And it's usually highly genetic and it usually comorbidity is with, um, what is comorbidity? Oh, my bad. Scary word. No, first of all, comorbidity is a comorbidity. It's like, here's something that's also going to kill you. It's what it sounds like, but here's really what it the, here's the colleague of morbidity. Yes. Comorbidity. They work together. <laughs> the, these two things are going to be in charge of your death. Um, no, but um, it just means, let's say you're working with somebody and they have asthma and they also have diabetes. So it would be mm -hmm. like, well, they have asthma and their comorbidities. It's just whatever, like other things are going on with your body. But mm -hmm. so this is, I've gotten well off topic, but hip dysplasia and no, scoliosis often show up together just as a general FYI for people. But By the way, I want to say, I think one of the reasons I like listening to podcasts is because the nature of conversation is to kind of trail off in different yes. related directions. <laughs> and I think that's the way we learn. Definitely. You know, Definitely. as long as we don't trail off for too long and get yes. lost. <laughs> but I, but I, I'm enjoying this, this hip dysplasia. The story of my lesson within the lesson yeah. <laughs> and dogs so, and dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I went to, I was 27. I was practicing yoga every damn day. I went to my first physical therapist ever, and they told me that I had to stop doing yoga and hey. it was crushing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but I was like, okay, I, I guess. And I did for a while and I didn't feel any better because they didn't give me anything else to do separately. Like in place of it, they were just like, just don't do, don't do yoga anymore. And then eventually I just went back to yoga. Cause I was like, well, you know, in the words of Cartman, screw you guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It didn't, um, I didn't see it affect any change in my body, but why, why do you think in particular in the United States, we have in the yoga community, we see so much of this emphasis on you have to do yoga every day. Do you think it's an idea around mastery of yoga? I think that we've, I think that we've, we've got a, 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 a tendency toward excess in many ways and directions and fields and mm -hmm. uh indulgences in this country mm -hmm. and i think yoga is a uh, victim to capitalism honestly <laughs> like yeah i think it yeah. comes from from the the ideals espoused in capitalistic thinking which is that more is better and it permeates all aspects of our lives. And it's one of those, when we talk about the psychosocial model, when we're, we're dealing with the social influences of pain or the social influences of racism or poverty or, you know, capitalism is the CEO of, a, it underpins a lot of what we're talking about. And it's difficult to talk about because it's such a big thing, right? And it's so um, all encompassing. <clears throat> um, we we are we are living inside of it and therefore uh we we cannot always see it right yeah. so i think that yoga as a traditional spiritual practice that originated in india is something we could potentially do every day and would mm -hmm. maybe the world would be better <laughs> but asana is this has become the the poster child of yoga and because it is so easy to put on a poster 
and big ranges of motion are impressive and sometimes beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the people practicing and being put on posters are increasingly thin and white and beautiful. And so this is capitalism, right? This is how we sell yoga. This is how we commodify it and how people profit off of it. And I think that whether or not people know that they've bought into these ideals of thin white beauty um, and or, you know, the kind of the ideals that tag along with yoga that are very much wrapped up in alternative medicine and health and uh, a lot of unsubstantiated claims about, you know, like detoxifying the body and juice cleanses and, you know, all these other ways that people are, I think, at the bo- at the, the bottom of it, just starving themselves at the end of the day and trying to lose weight. Um, because again, the thin ideal. Um, I think that that um, this is what is undergirding this drive to want to do yoga every day. But the story people are telling, which makes it extra insidious mm-hmm. is that this is my spiritual practice mm-hmm. that i'm doing this to transcend this earthly body and these earthly concerns and this earthly suffering and in a way dissociating from it mm-hmm. and bypassing it right spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. um dissociation which i can tell you a lot about because i was really really good at it um spiritual bypassing has raised up in it with like my conservative evangelical christian upbringing uh, which is largely about spiritual bypassing from my perspective uh you know it's uh it's that really i think and and when when but but then you know and i i think we can both relate to this like then when we hear don't do yoga at all um that kind of negates the fact that yoga asana and the spiritual practices that sometimes skillfully accompany it and sometimes don't, right? Depending on where you're doing your yoga has so many benefits that it can give us. I have benefited probably of all the modalities I've engaged with that you could term exercise or movement. Yoga has been the most profound Mm -hmm. and most life shifting. And if you take that away from people, that's not good. But if you, if you train people to believe that they need to do it every day, especially the asana side of yoga, um, that's also potentially going to cause problems for a number of reasons. One is, do you have any time now to do your strength training and cardio? Because yoga is not giving you that. Right. And are you cranking on some joints that are not prepared to be cranked on the way you're cranking on them, i.e. the knee and lotus pose? Mm Mm-hmm. So, those are my thoughts. This episode is brought to you by Movement Logic, a library of evidence-based movement therapy tutorials to help your students who are in pain and looking to you for help. What most movement teachers need are critical thinking skills to be able to respond to their students' needs in the moment. But let's face it, whether it's a private client or a student after class, questions about what to do about pain and discomfort can be challenging to address for a movement teacher. However, it's possible to be able to address students' needs skillfully using evidence-based reasoning and tools, all while staying within scope of practice. This happens by becoming anatomically and biomechanically informed, gaining a deeper understanding around pain science, and acquiring a diverse set of teaching tools that you can apply immediately. With Movement Logic, you will do just that, all while building a foundation of critical thinking skills to reach a broader clientele. 
Want a free peek of what you'll learn in our tutorials? Right now on our website homepage at www.movementlogictutorials.com, you can sign up for our email list to receive updates on course sales and discounts. When you do, you'll also receive four free pelvic floor videos that take a movement-based approach to working with clients with an array of pelvic floor concerns. Within these videos, we help you understand specifically how the movement or breathing exercise can influence awareness of and connection to the pelvic floor specifically, as well as many other structures it directly influences. Go to movementlogictutorials.com, enter your first name and email address, and get four free pelvic floor videos. And now, back to our episode. Ultimately, I think there's a there's an interesting similarity between using it because we see, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I brought up the, the yoga world because that's my personal experience, but I am a hundred percent positive that it exists in the same way in the strength training world, in the CrossFit world, where people are just like more is better, heavier is better, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. Not that they're necessarily, um, encouraged that that's the right thing to do but you know yeah. it's like my 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 old client's dad who is in his late 70s and was having neck pain and went to pt and they gave him they said do 10 shoulder shrugs i don't know why and so he went home and he was like well they told me to do 10 so if 10 is good surely a hundred is better. So he started doing a hundred, I'm not even kidding, shoulder shrugs every day. And then he went back and he was like, my neck feels worse. And they were like, well, yeah. So I think this tendency towards the sort of overdoing it. I know. I love that story. But so not much. just humans. I had a dachshund once who <laughs> ate an entire pizza. So I mean, dogs are, you know, dogs they were are, on the top are, of are dogs today. Like they love not possessing a lot of yeah. self-control, especially around food. Um, they're not really, you know, thinking about the future basically ever. Um, so <laughs> is that what it is? Sometimes that's what excess is about too, is you're not thinking about the not future thinking consequences. About the, yeah, exactly. The, what's actually happening to me. But I think, I think there's sort of a similarity in what we're talking about in terms of using the, the full yoga practice, not just asana as a, with a goal that is not external and mm -hmm. using exercise also with a goal that is not external in terms of a um, appearance that that training to be it, it, and and as a way that that ultimately is um, much more empowering for people who who maybe are new to to working to exercising um, and much less judgmental you know than than a lot of people a lot of people aren't exercising because it's a world they've never been in and going into a gym is terrifying because they feel yeah. overwhelmed and there's all these people in there who look super fit and they, you know, they don't know what the machines are. And it's just a, it's a horrible scenario for, there's a lot of negativity that a lot of people have associated with exercise based on their past experience, you know, being yeah, laughed rightfully. at at gym class in high school and all that kind of stuff. Right. Rightfully so, so rightfully yeah, so. Absolutely. So, so this idea of using our, using exercise, not as a, you know, sh what you should do, right? A sort of shaming idea, or even as a, you should do it because you should be thinner because society is telling us that thinner is better, not versus like, well, if you do it, when you go to the pet store and you just, apparently this whole episode is about dogs. When you go to the store <laughs> and you are buying, cause this is what I used to have to do. When you're buying a, a, a 35 pound bag of dog food, you have the ability to pick it up from the ground, hold it on your shoulder and walk out to the parking lot and put it in your car. And when they say, do you need help? You can say no. Right. So yeah. that's to me, those are the kind of goals that are, that are so much more 
um, personally empowering for people and, yeah. and ultimately more valuable. And it's sort of a similarity in the way that yoga in its wholeness can be practiced as a as a way not to change anything externally, but to change something internally. Yeah. Right? And, and yoga can change things externally as well. Of course, and of course, and I do think many, that many, many folks benefit from the mobility benefits of yoga. Yes. I meant like not your goal is not the, you know, be the po like do the forearm stand with the sunset behind you. Right. Be because really I'll say and in a bikini. <laughs> I'll say this, that I, I still have not found a modality like yoga that is able to shift my feeling and I mean, like my sense of interoception, which is my mm -hmm. ability to pay attention and notice the details of my inwardly felt experiences to shift my mind, my train of thought to shift my like overall baseline level that I feel of relaxation versus mm -hmm. kind of stimulation yeah. and and also confer these, I guess, more um, neuro uh, muscular benefits mm -hmm. of strength endurance or the soft tissue benefits potentially of uh, improved joint flexibility and mobility. I know, for example, I've done Feldenkrais, which has mm -hmm. brought me even to a more relaxed state mentally, but I don't feel that Feldenkrais is stressing my body mm -hmm. in as sufficient enough a way to make the the changes that I'm able to make, which seem much more significant with yoga, although I know it's working on a different thing too. It's mm -hmm. not working necessarily on mobility. It's working on uh, coordination and patterning and, and timing of movement. I will say though that for me personally, yoga holds my attention a little bit more uh, effectively. Mm -hmm. And because I'm the kind of person who really wants to feel things in my body. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's, um, it's also, you know, it's, it's got these uh, cultural aspects to it that I find very, that, that give yoga so much more meaning outside of just the physical realm. Like I really appreciate the history and culture behind yoga. I appreciate Sanskrit being incorporated into classes. I appreciate that, that sometimes we're chanting and, and doing mantra practice or doing pranayama practice or, or meditative practices. Yoga is so diverse mm -hmm. of a physical practice, not just a, a mind practice. It's a f diverse physical practice of so many different, actually separate modalities that are included in the wider system. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I cannot think of another system like that, that is able to produce the significant amount of mental shift and change. It's really that it's, it's yes. like you said, like the changes that are happening internally are really profound with yoga. I find, um, I agree I much agree. more so than CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, I think someone, I mean, you know, we're sort of on a tangential conversation, but I think yeah. also it is what holds your attention. Yes, right? that's what helps. And so for different people, different levels of exertion hold their attention and, right. and not just different people, but there's days when, uh, like if I, if something happens and I'm, I'm, I gotta get real mad about it. If I don't do something that is like, I'm like, I gotta go swing a kettlebell around, or I have to like get on this reformer cause I'm at work and I have an hour break and do like a punishing level amount of work. Like sometimes that is the only thing that, that gets, mm -hmm. stops my like rumination in my brain, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, but, but, you know, that's, that's an extreme example of when I am in a heightened emotional state, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I need to go do something extremely physical, 
that that is going to exhaust me so that I can't, you know, it, I, I run out of the mental energy to keep yeah. being this, you know, emotionally. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I, I think there's different tones to my felt levels of psychological stress that require mm -hmm. different interventions. Yes, absolutely. And there's times when I when I hope to be meditating and I sit down to do it and I'm like, I am I, I this is I mm -mm. I need to yeah. go for I need to do this while moving. I need right. to try to be walking and like I can't be still physically. And the then there, there are days where the day prior, I did a lot of strength training, a lot of plyometrics. And mm -hmm. so the following day when I need that input, I'm definitely not going to be doing that the next right. day, right? right? I'm going to need to do something that's more active recovery, right. like walk in the woods or yoga. Um, so yeah. cool. All right. Well, I feel like this has been a very interesting conversation. Yes. I enjoy all of our conversations. This me is too. in a lot of ways the starting this podcast was an extremely selfish act for me because I was like, <laughs> I just want to talk to Laurel. Ah! So... <laughs> the same way. I feel the same way. Uh, yeah. And, so and I love the amount of, um, the amount of learning that I'm undergoing oh. in doing this too. Thanks. Yeah. I like assumed that was about me when maybe you're like, I'm just researching a lot of things when no, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> well, no, see, it's all connected. It's like, I, yes, I am researching things, but then I have to tell you about it and it right. needs to make sense to you. That's, <laughs> so, right. like, that's another level of understanding that I have to acquire. So, all right. Well, a note to our listeners, you can check out our show notes and I'm going to include, um, that what you were the, the link, any sort of link to a run wet Whoa, what? One wet max? A one wet max. One wet max. That's when you jump in. Oh, boy. Dry. Yes, you just go into the pool. <laughs> you just you're totally dry. You're dry. And then you jump into the pool and you, just and you are wet cannonball it. to the max. You got a oh. one wet max. <laughs> Uh, just a note to our listeners, you can check out our show notes for links to the references we mentioned in this podcast. I'm going to link to the CDC guidelines and also where you can find that information about a one rep max that I had to really enunciate that, uh, that Laurel was talking about. Uh, you can also visit the Movement Logic website. You can get on our mailing list to be in the know about different sales on our tutorials. If you like watching videos, you can watch the video version of this episode on our uh website at movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcast if you want to see what my quote-unquote recording studio looks like and to be clear it is a closet mm -hmm. uh, it's a nice looking one plants grow great there i don't know how they, you do it you know they're really thriving on absolutely no uh natural light it's incredible I, I just must have the greenest thumb anyone anyone's yeah. ever seen yeah. um all right thank you so much for joining us Safe for transcended photosynthesis that's it uh, if you like this episode, it really, really helps us if you subscribe and also rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would be super, super appreciative of that. And please join us again next week for more Movement Logic and more of our loosely held opinions and pretty strong muscles. <laughs> Wasn't it strong opinions loosely held? Yeah. All right. We're holding them loosely. And strong we're strong. muscles. And loose that morals. I can take loosely. <laughs> <laughs> that is a dangerous woman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Strong muscles, loose morals. Loose morals. Watch out. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>